This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. We're here coming to you live immediately following a immensely frustrating afternoon for Everton as they drew nil-nil versus Crystal Palace. I'll throw it over to Alex for initial thoughts, reaction, impressions from that match. I'm numb. Yeah. Anything else? (laughs) Nope, that's it, James. That's it. Wrap it up. Uh, Yeah, no. So it was, as you said, really frustrating, right? Why are we performing so well against the top teams at home? And then we can't really do ourselves justice away, specifically away at some of the lower table teams as as a liverpool fan would say it was it was very very wind or or uh or as gerard de la Feu would tweet <laughs> very wind otherwise i think that we saw within the first 5 minutes that dominic calvert lewin was going to have a very off match um obviously you know he won plenty of headers uh or won plenty of aerial duels but we just we didn't have our shooting boots on essentially today crystal palace were very compact and organized which always proves to be an issue for us specifically. And at the end of the day, it just, I guess, was not meant to be. Yeah, just overall couldn't get much going. And I think, yeah, when Calvert-Lewin missed those two really, really good early chances, particularly the first one where he was basically in and then could barely even get a convincing shot off, uh, that just kind of set the tone for the whole match. Just seemed like a lack of urgency in the final third, which, I mean, we did have... 22 shots but then you think 11 of those were blocked and then only three ended up on target so not the most productive in the final third and we the build-up play I actually was very impressed with at times I thought that particularly Adrissa Gay had some really nice moments of moving the ball around I don't think that Gilfie Sigurdsson was nearly as involved as he should have been or needed to be for us to be successful in those areas because we know that when he gets on the ball a lot then he tends to make things happen and when you're relying on Adrissa Gay and Morgan Schneiderlin, though, I thought they both had good games to do the bulk of your creative work through midfield. It's just never going to really be productive or have the end result that you really want. Right. And I think it's, I think part of it comes down to tactics, right? We see that Sigurdsson is always pretty much deployed as like a second striker and that's per Marco Silva's tactics. And so could he have, I mean, I mean, the only way he gets on the ball more is if he drops deeper, right? And I think that it could be the right idea because, you know, with how compact and deeply defending Crystal Palace was, you kind of need a player in the mix, which, you know, if you're if you're trying to play between the lines of the defense and their defensive midfielders, then, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to get on the ball as much. It's just about making it count. I don't think really anyone made it count. But as you said, it was good build up play. It's just it comes down to being able to find that moment, having a finisher, um, maybe even like Jank Tosin when he had that filthy attempt that probably uh, Guaita or however you pronounce his name, I can't get it right, and I don't think I ever will. Had no Close right enough. to shave. Had he had no right to shave. That's it. Yeah, he yeah, had, yeah. He had no right to save, as they would say on FIFA. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, I'm just looking at the stats right now. Sigurdsson had 29 total passes. You look at Adrissa Gay, Morgan Schneiderland, 86. Um, and 75 respectively. So just to put in perspective, like the magnitude of which they were involved versus Sigurdsson. And yeah, I agree. Like we did have some really good chances. I thought the Richarlison early on down the right-hand flank, him and Coleman had some really nice play. Coleman had 
several really, really good overlapping runs, but then it all comes back to, and the story of the season is the end product in the final third. And it just, stuff just wasn't clicking today. And you could tell that there was a lot of frustration, a lot of irritation. Um, Bernard had a hell of a time dealing with Juan Basaka. showed, I think he really showed why he's such a hot prospect uh, throughout all of Europe, but particularly in England going forward, a young player who, who really kind of just bottled up one of our most dynamic options and shut everything down. And so with that said, and now looking at the results across the rest of the league, Wolves have defeated Watford, putting them three points ahead of us with two games to go. Four, Four points ahead of us with three, two games to go. Really kind of dashes or puts puts it very much out of our hands at this point, um, the, the push for seventh place. Yeah, it's really disappointing, to be honest. I mean, obviously, that's that's uh, the most obvious thing I could have said there. But uh, at the end of the day, it's not the worst, which is also, which anyone could uh, sit up here and say. But but my point is essentially that while I think we would have all really preferred to get seventh, and we've been hyping it up for weeks now, even if, well, even if slash when Wolves finish seventh, right, or or Everton are somehow able to finish seventh, assuming Wolves lose the last two matches, um, you still need Manchester City to win the FA Cup, which is probable, but not guaranteed. So at the end of the day, no matter what, Europe, Europa is always going to be kind of out of our hands. Now, it would make it much easier for summer recruitment, right? Like trying to talk the likes of Kurt Zuma and or Andre Gomez into staying when you are able to play at another level, specifically across um, the globe, but or across Europe, excuse me. But at the end of the day, it was always going to be a rebuilding season with the run that we had, I think, between the middle or end of December to essentially February. We didn't expect ourselves to be in this position or even have a chance at it. So I think at the end of the day, we just we have to be happy and, and thankful that we even were able to think about it with the results that we've had in the past month, month and a half. Yeah, and I believe that the point today actually puts us above one point above our cumulative points total for all of last season. And so although it's just one point now, two games to go, hopefully pick up a few more, at least three I'm hoping for or four for the remaining games, put us firmly above the the result of last season and show the signs of progression that I think at the beginning of the season was all really anyone wanted because no one was expecting us, you know, the hope at best was to get Europe, uh, get Europa League. And at, at the very least, we just wanted to see some kind of signs that things are trending in the right direction with the club. And I think based on the evidence laid before us throughout the course of the season, the inconsistency and the, the ups and downs are still very much there. But the foundations of the project that Marco Silva and Marcel Brands are working on has very much been laid out. And the path forward is also very clear. You continue to improve. You continue to build on this foundation. And pretty soon you have a framework. And then you have a full-blown squad some two or three seasons down the line if things continue in trending the way that they are, which overall it's hard not to feel optimistic about the trend, the trend line that Everton are setting forth. Right. And make no mistake, seventh place would or could be a bonus for us this season. But next season, that is not our objective, and it should not be our objective. Our objective is top six next season, right? You know, it's it's a gradual thing, but our objective is top six, and it is absolutely 
attainable, assuming that Marco Silva can continue on the on the upward trend that he's been moving towards and, and a couple of very smart brand signings. Let's let's kind of switch gears back to the match and let's talk about a couple of individual performances. Specifically, let's talk about Morgan Schneiderlin first, right? I was explaining to my girlfriend actually, actually who was watching the first half of the match with me and she was like, who's that guy? I've never seen that guy. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Honestly, it doesn't feel like I have either. But but I explained to her kind of his trials and tribulations over the last year and a half or so. You know, a family tragedy, a baby. Um, I believe he also got married in that time frame, maybe. On top of that, injury, of course. Trying to come back. Andre Gomez has been killing it. Overall, in terms of his performance today and, and even uh, last week, what do you think about Mor- Morgan Schneiderlin currently? What, what is What is your mind, your heart telling you? Well, just based on the objective evidence of the last two games, I think that he has kind of won won some favor back in at least my personal opinion. I had previously said on this podcast that I was okay with shipping him off in the summer and that I didn't really think that he deserved to see minutes the rest of the year and that I'd rather see a young player like Tom Davies come in and get minutes who I would love to see Tom get back in the side before the end of the year, but that's getting off topic. As far as Schneiderlin goes, I, I think he's shown that he can be a fringe squad player for us. I don't think that he'll ever be a weekend week out starter again at the level that we are aspiring to be at, but that doesn't mean that he can't do a job. And what he does, he does very well when he is comfortable in the role. And I think today, overall, everyone looked comfortable to the point where it was almost too relaxed especially like in possession there just wasn't that sense of urgency getting the ball forward a lot really comfortable in possession but then when it came time to actually do something with that possession things started to fall apart and and players just weren't able to to link up quite as well but as far as Morgan Schneiderlin I do think that if he is okay with the role of a squad player and not getting playing week in week out he does have a future at the club maybe not on the wages that he's currently at um but but yeah I still see a role for him and, and he can still be a useful player for us, just not the week in, week out starter that maybe he wants as he kind of continues on towards the latter stages of his career. You know, James, for a second there, I, I could have thought you were talking about Theo Walcott. <laughs> oh boy, Alex, we all know how you feel about Theo Walcott. <laughs> yeah, people were trying to fry me yesterday. I don't care. I don't care. I love a hot take, but I feel pretty confident in what I was saying. But in terms of Morgan Schneiderlin, I agree I think the only issue is it's pretty certain that we're going to ship off James McCarthy, unfortunately, right? Um, on top of that, Ghana will most likely go in the summer. I don't want him to, but he, you know, if he has someone like PSG coming in for him, you know, don't don't stand in his way this time. He deserves it. I think most people agree with that statement. And as you said, Schneiderlin shouldn't be a starter. He's not the quality that we need to be starting week in, week out. And... I think that we're going to have to figure out a better solution. Furthermore, as you said, his wages could be an issue. And and we all know Marcel Brands doesn't like that very much. He's a shrewd businessman. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, you know, we still have the likes of Joe Williams, Benny Beningami, two defensive midfielders that have been out on loan coming back and could attempt to cement a place in the squad as well. Yeah, there were some reports coming out uh, in the week about the the squad for next year, and I believe that the number was 20 outfield players, three keepers, and then some fringe young uh, youth players looking to make their breakthrough. And I think that that's a really good number. Given the current number of players in our squad, it will require a lot 
We've we've talked a lot about the the job Marcel Brands has in shipping away the dead weight. That I think is the number one priority above signing anyone else. I mean, if we get three or four signings in again, lock down Zuma and Gomez and are able to ship out 10 players, eight players, I think that'll be a job well done. And it's not going to be easy. I mean, bringing players in is at face value much easier than shipping players out given the wages that some of those players are on. Um, but back to what you were saying about Adrisage, I do think I agree there was a good, there's a good chance that he leaves in the summer. But I do think that I'm not necessarily sure that PSG would be back in for him. Given his age, I think that They'll have, you know, the the January transfer market is typically much more difficult to do business in. Maybe they saw a, saw him as like a, a fix for what they needed in the moment, and maybe they'll have their eye on other players across Europe come the summer. And and that's all we've we have no idea at this point. There's going to be rumors flying, regardless of with the with the player that he's been for us for his whole time here, and especially like the last five or six games. I, we would have a very, very difficult time replacing him. And I don't think that like if we ship him out and don't get a replacement. If Morgan Schneiderlin's left for that role next year, we're in deep trouble, especially, you know, you're all, you're also talking about pushing six, like pushing for the top six. That's going to require, we're now 14 points back of Manchester United, who by all accounts will be looking to significantly revamp their squad. So being able to simultaneously make up 14 points while you know, no one else is going to just stagnate. Everyone else is going to improve as well. So it's, it's a big, big gap to make up. I think sixth place is probably the ceiling for us next year. I don't want to, you know, dampen expectations, but just looking at it realistically, like we're, we're now one point above where we were last year to then make a four at most. We end up seven points above where we were last year to then double that assuming Manchester, and that's with everyone else losing the rest of their games that are above us. Like that's just such a big gap. I'm not, it'll depend on the signings and inevitably come preseason next, next year, we'll be thinking like based on the signings, Oh my God, we're going to, we're going to kick on. We're going to have an unbelievable year, but I don't know. I I know I just kind of rambled for a bit, but there's a lot to unpack here as things start to wind down. And it's just disheartening because now all hope kind of is out the window and it's just the last two games enjoy them for what they are and then that's it okay so let me ask you this right Dominic Calvert-Lewin was on a hot streak he ended up winning his starting role back and he has been playing pretty consistently now for something like two months or so now I think maybe you could say his form has dwindled a bit even if we're just talking about specifically um his his physical output of goals and or assists, do you think that we need to sign a starting striker? I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not referencing these links to like Tammy Abraham, who is essentially the same age scoring goals in the championship that could push Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I'm talking about, do you think we need someone to step in and it is understood immediately that this person starts? That's the question. And I do think that based on the evidence laid out before us by Calvert-Lewin. If you look at the season as a at large, I just don't think he's at the level where he can be a week-in and week-out starter. I think he has a ton of really promising attributes, can do a really important job, does a lot of things very well, one of which is not scoring goals. Um, but yeah, I think the answer to that question is without question we need someone because if if you look at the game today, for example, within 10 minutes, if you have a clinical finisher up top, it's 2-0. 
and the game's pretty much done and dusted at that point. Without With Calvert-Lewin, I think he still has a lot of developing to do. And you mentioned the T- Tammy Abraham links there. And I know that you're kind of like not the biggest fan of him. I mean, I haven't admittedly watched him very much, but like the return on return in the championship and being on loan from Chelsea, I think he'd be a, an excellent candidate. I don't think we need to bring in a 28-year-old proven like European elite striker, but we need someone who's a proven finisher at, at any level. And Calvert-Lewin just doesn't seem to be fit that profile. So we need... Yeah, we do. To answer your question, and you know, it's rambling again, but yes, we do need to sign a striker. I don't know. Do you agree? I think so at this point. And I don't want to agree, but like, yes, it'd be naive to say that, you know, we could just start him week in, week out with maybe some competition and competition in the squad. And he would just randomly step up and score 15 goals next season. But uh, it's not going to be next season, I don't think. And so. We can't continue the way we have been in terms of the fact that, yes, we have spread out the goals, but you know they're, they're too spread out in terms of the fact that you're relying on an attacking midfielder and your winger to score the majority, and then you really don't have any from your, from your main forwards. Right, exactly. And, and what that comes back to is just like the overall squad depth, right? Because right now we have a pretty settled and solid first 11 with Andre Gomez and, and Morgan Schneiderlin. We might have 12 or 13 players that we could comfortably play and substitute in in and out, but you need that squad depth. Like Marco Silva has said it, he wants two players competing for each position, and I don't think that we genuinely have the level of competition in the squad that we need right now. Yeah, I think everyone can agree with that. And, uh, you know, speaking of of striker competition, Cenk Tosin came on. We saw him for the first time in a while. Uh, First of all, his hair looks full somehow every match and then you see pictures at training and and it looks like uh it looks like grass in the winter but uh (laughs) there's something going on there with cgi i'm like totally convinced there's some special effect some kind of hollywood magic that's holding his hair in place because i just don't believe that it's it's just such a weird fluctuation my man's has a weave for sure (laughs) the fascination with his hair is uh maybe a little unfair on him because I did think he he played okay again this game I thought Marco Silva left the subs a little bit late it was looking on like 70 minutes when he finally decided to bring Tosin on and then um Lookman on at like 80 or 75 and then Walcott on at 80 it's just if you want if the way the game was going it just didn't seem like that group of players was going to be able to be able to get it done I think you need to kind of just try something and uh try to switch things up a little bit earlier and see what happens because Palace really didn't look entirely threatening. Zaha, as we said in the pre-match, like had a lot of individual moments where he looked like he could create stuff. Meyer on the wing, I actually thought had a pretty good game as well. But yeah, the the subs are left a little late for me today and seems to be a trend with Marco Silva. Cenk Tosin had a really filthy shot on goal somehow, uh, which I know we, we mentioned previously. You know, I just... I sit here and every time he plays, I just wish that he had that one main attribute that would allow him to exploit any sort of weakness in a defense, whether that's size, whether that was strength, whether that was speed. And it just sucks that he is mediocre in every department. Now, his finishing is fantastic, but it only gets you so far. And it makes me, it still makes me almost upset that 
you know, we know essentially that he's going to leave in the summer, which he deserves to play week in, week out. And uh and, and I really think that he's the type of player that we could have we could have used if he just had that that little extra step in one of those departments. Yeah, I, I'm not sold on him leaving this summer. He did come out recently with some comments saying that he loves being at Everton and that he wants to stay. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion that he's gone. Of all the players that we need to get rid of, I'd say Cenk Tosin is probably pretty low on that list. But I agree, like, he, if, if for his career, he want he will probably want to continue to play. And I do think he can do a job for another maybe lower Premier League side that doesn't have quite the aspirations that we do. But he's, yeah, like you said, very mediocre to above, slightly above average in virtually all departments um, and just not the quality that we need. So goes back to that conversation. Sign, We definitely need to sign a striker in the summer. It's been a conversation ongoing for two years. And then someone who Calvert-Lewin can learn from, they can compete with each other and make each other better. But now to kind of wrap things up, I guess, uh, just a disheartening afternoon all around. But we will... Send you guys out with our man of the match picks. Alex, I'll defer to your expertise first. Expertise, I like it. Theo Walcott. Stop. Stop <laughs> it. You're going to have our fan base or, you know, our listeners. I shouldn't say fan base, but listeners up in arms coming at us again. Or you rather, because I'm I'm officially distancing myself from this take on Theo Walcott. <laughs> I respect Alex if he wants to die on this hill, but it's just not, I'm not standing by you, man. I'm running the other way. I'm just having fun out here. You know, some people take <laughs> life too seriously. Otherwise, I think the man of the match, I think it's going to have to be Ghana. Mm. And and mm, that did not sound agreeable. Uh, no, I agree. I do agree. I, I think it's going to have to be Ghana. He put in solid tackles as usual. He covered a monstrous amount of the pitch. Um, furthermore, as you mentioned earlier, he moved the ball really well. He had a lot of good passes, forward passes. And, and, you know, I really do think that that is a factor of the fact that he has a deep lying defensive midfielder behind him in Schneiderlin. Yeah, I don't disagree with the Ghana pick at all. I think he's a, he's a good shout for me. It's going to be Kurt Zuma. I thought that he did an excellent job bottling up Christian Benteke, bodying him up, shutting him down. And also, um, for a center back, he does have a really nice instinct of like when to drive the ball forward. It is a job that our center backs are asked to do because when in possession, they play pretty far apart and leave the center of the park wide open. But as far as facilitating the ball around, I thought Zuma did an excellent job today and did his defensive duties resiliently and, and effectively. Hopefully, we can get him signed on a permanent. That doesn't need to be said again, but I'll be beating that drum until it's officially his, his signature's on the dotted line. So with that said, that's going to do it for us, guys. Keep an eye out early next week, probably Monday or Tuesday. We will be previewing the Burnley match, uh, which is on Friday, which is kind of awkward. But yeah, keep an eye out for that. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.